a lot of people come to church and they come, we come, with a certain kind of mentality. And the mentality goes like this. If God would only give me blank, then I would be happy. Now, I just want you to be very, very honest. Is that some of the mentality that you're bringing this morning? If God would only give me blank, then I would be happy. Now, I, I want you to really think about, do a little bit of soul searching, like really quickly. And if you even look in your outline, there's actually a space to fill out the blank. If that's kind of your mentality, how would you fill out the blank? And maybe you can actually take out a pen, take out the outline, and actually fill out that blank, um, being honest with what's going on in here. If God would only give me blank, then I would be happy. What is that blank for you? Maybe it's a spouse, or, you know, before you get there, you want the perfect boyfriend or girlfriend. If, if I only had the perfect, you know, in, in college, that was, that was my prayer. Um, or maybe it's your health. Or maybe it's the health of your loved one. Or if God would only heal, you know. Or maybe it has something to do with your kids. You know, if, if those of you who are parents, mo more than likely, 90%, it's probably like something with the kids. If, if my kid, if I only had kids, you know, maybe you'd start there. But, but if I do have kids, then if God would only give them the right friends or the, put them in the right school or, or the right track for success or, I don't know, maybe they're older, like the perfect girlfriend, then we would be happy, you know. Or... It's something with your career or promotion or vacation or rest or a massage chair. I don't know. What, what is that thing for you? If God will only give me blank, then I would be happy. Well, here's the thing. I met certain people in India that totally challenged this mentality. And when, when I really sat down and thought about it, it just kind of, it kind of blew me away. I met people who had close to nothing, and they were still happy. And it, it was, like, confusing for me because I was thinking, like, well, according to my American standards, you should not be happy because you have nothing. How can you be happy? How is it possible that you have nothing and you're happy? And it was just so confusing to me, you know? And the thing is, I know a lot of people, including myself, who seem to have everything, and we still feel like we need more to be happy. And then I meet people who have nothing, and they're happy, like, whoa, 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 whoa what's going on? The, the people that I met in India who had this certain kind of mentality, I guess you could sum it up in Psalm 16. So I think the best way to describe where they're coming from and and how they would describe where they're coming from is really just to go into Psalm 16. So we're just going to go into Psalm 16. But let me, let me say this. Uh, with this Sunday, we're talking about three levels of being. I guess you could say this Sunday we're talking about being satisfied. But next Sunday, we're going to talk about like feeling like kind of far from God and wanting him more. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to talk about actually feeling pretty close to God and still wanting him more. Okay, so this is a, a three-part thing. And so today, if you're a guest, you're invited to come back for the, for the second and for the third. But let's go with the first first. Um, let's go with verse 4. All right, here's verse 4 in Psalm 16. The sorrows of those who, what's the next word? You say it with me all at the same time. 
run. Okay, the sorrows of those who run after other gods will, what's the next word? Multiply. All right, we're going to just stop right there. We're going to think about that for a little bit. I know that most of us here go like, okay, that really does, that's not really me. Maybe in India, uh, India you met some Hindus, they worship other gods, and there's not really me. But uh, let me explain a little bit first. Um, in ancient times, there was a god for every kind of concern and activity of life. So there was a god of wine, and there was a, a god of beauty, and there was a god of wealth, and there was a god of athletics, and there was a god of Steph Curry. You guys, you're with me, right? And the psalmist makes it very simple here. Everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. Everyone ch is chasing after something. So it's not a matter of like, um, are you chasing after something? It's more like, what are you chasing after? Everyone is chasing after something. And, and here in this psalm, the psalmist is making a very bold prediction that if you are chasing after something, and that something is not God himself, that something that you are chasing will ultimately disappoint you in the end. It's a very, very bold prediction. Now, I want you to think about that. What are you chasing? When was the last time you thought about that? What would happen if you actually got what you were chasing? Would it ultimately satisfy you? I don't know what you wrote in that blank. But let me ask you a different kind of question. What if you actually received the blank? Would you be ultimately happy? Some of us are like, y y yeah, I would actually. Okay, okay. What about like um, three years after you received it? What about 30 years after? What about 300 years after you have received it? Uh, think about it. Uh, just a quick little story. I, I'm, uh, my son uh, loves, loves Pokemon, you know, and I, I don't know, just because I'm in his world, I say something about Pokemon like every Sunday. I know, I know. I've said about it a lot because I'm thinking about my son, but he just loves Pokemon, and I don't want to be like a wet bucket, like, hey, Pokemon will ultimately fail you. I, I, I'm not going to be like, but this is what I did say. I did say, I did say this. I said, hey, Ryan, let's just think about this. Man, you're so passionate about Pokemon, and Pokemon's really, really fun, but you know something? Uncle Daniel used to be passionate about Pokemon, too. And now all those cards are in his closet collecting dust. What do you think about that? <laughs> I, it's, just, it's just a thought, just a question. Hmm, I wonder if right now what you find giving you ultimate happiness will fail you 30 years from now. What about you guys? Is that true with you? 30 years from now? 300 years from now? Will that thing you're chasing after really ultimately satisfy you? Honestly, will it? Okay, well, let's keep on going. Verse 5. Okay, here's the good stuff. You guys ready for the good stuff? The, the songwriter says, The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a good inheritance. I love how Patty uh, shared Psalm 16. Such a beautiful voice. What is the songwriter talking about? I want you to look at the words, my portion, my lot, the lines. What, what, what lines is he talking about? Boundary lines, okay? Boundary lines. Inheritance. Now, the psalmist is making a reference to something that happened historically with the Jews in the Old Testament. 
He's referring to this time when Joshua and the, the, the ancient Israelites, they conquered the land of Canaan. And now it was a time to actually divvy up the land. So really, Joshua is in a place where he's making a really uh, important decision. And you just imagine a lot of weight is on his shoulders. Now let me, let me just kind of clarify. You, you know there's a lot of people who fight over the inheritance, especially when the will is not really clear, and then the siblings, like how do we divide the money according to what mom and dad wanted, and they, they fight, they squabble, it gets really nasty, because inheritance is a big deal, right? It's a big deal. And so something like this could potentially happen. You imagine the, the weight of the world seems to be on Joshua's shoulders, and then you imagine like there is this 85-year-old man, he stands up, just a beast of a man, and everyone knows he has a great reputation. That man is Caleb, right? And he's like 85 years old, and he's got, there's strength in me yet. You know, he's like hitting his chest, you know. Like, give me the hill country, because it's difficult to really claim that land, but I know because I have strength in me yet, and God is with me. We're going to redeem that land for God, right? And then, so, you know, Joshua's like, okay, man, that's yours, because he got such a reputation, and also, no one really wanted the hill country, because it's hard to claim. Anyways, so you got the problem with dividing the rest of the land and who gets what, but luckily, by God's grace, Moses left some instructions, so you imagine Joshua's, okay, the... Uh, uh, the Reubenites, you guys get that patch over land where the college students are sitting. And uh, the Gadites, you guys uh, get that patch of grass over there. And, th and then there's a group of people who come up to, to Joshua and they're like really, really excited. Like, what do, what, what, what do we get? And they are the Levites. Like, what do we get? Oh, man, this is going to be exciting. Now, just imagine Joshua going, all oh, right, you, you Levites, let me look uh, with Moses. Oh, right here. Okay, this is what you guys get. You guys ready? They're ready. Okay. You guys get, as far as it concerns, land. Ah, nothing. You guys get nothing. You guys don't get one single acre of land. Now, I don't know, how, how would you respond if that were you? But you know, um, the psalmist is kind of putting to words that actually the appropriate response when you see with eyes of clarity what you're actually receiving. And those words are, you are my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. God, if I have you, I have everything. I have everything. I have a good inheritance. The songwriter is basically challenging each of us and saying, do you know what you have in God? Do you know the value of what you have? Do you know how worthy God is? Do you have any idea what you have in God? He's basically saying that God plus nothing equals everything. You have God, you have everything that you need to be ultimately happy. And I guess the reverse of that is also true. Everything without God is what? Everything without God is nothing. You got everything, but you don't have God. You have nothing. You have God, and you have nothing else. You have everything. And that's basically what I saw in, in India. 
If there's one thing that blew me away and we saw a lot of things, this would be it. This would be the thing that blew me away. And it's, it's funny. Um, so I, I said that we spend time with orphans. We also spend time with widows. And there was uh, w- one day when we were in like a small group with uh, these widows. And so there's like three widows. And then there was Om Sam, who is uh, Pastor Jonathan's son. He comes from Naga. Like he was born in the States, but, you know, his parents speak fluent Naga. And then there was me, right? And I don't know a word of Naga. So anyway, we're sitting in this small uh, room, and the, the one of the widows uh, starts talking, and she starts, and I don't know, I don't know what she was saying, but maybe she was burying her heart, she was talking, and then I'm looking at Om Sam, Om Sam's like, and then I, I go, Om Sam, Om Sam, what did what'd she say? And she, he looks at me and goes, I didn't understand a word she said, like that. Um, I'm like, you are useless, man. Uh, uh, so that was, uh, that was not the best part, but luckily a vow came, and and he interpreted really well for us. But even before that, I would say, even before that event was really where I was kind of had a God-sighting moment. Um, can, can we show the picture? When we arrived uh, for a visitation for a widow, I, I met the woman all the way to the right. Now, as you look at that picture of her smiling, how would you describe her smile and what you see? And whatever you see there is what we were met with when we first met this woman by the name of Ruth. And I would describe her smile as a quiet, unfailing joy. I mean, I don't, can you see it in her in your face? I know, I know Jonathan smiles a little bit louder, but hers is, is definitely, there is this glow to it. You guys see the glow? So we were, we were met with that smile and then she invited us into her home. We saw her son. We, I looked at his toys. He's got like I, nothing, nothing like a little figurine of a lion, you know, and, and a few other things. That was it. And we said goodbye to the son. And then Pastor Jonathan was properly translating. And so we were in this small room. It was dark and it was sunlit, but it was really dark and it was smoky. And the woman was sharing her story and Jonathan was properly translating. And the story that she conveyed to us is a story I want to share with you. That woman there has HIV. And she said that when she found out that she had HIV, she was devastated, as you can imagine. But that was the beginning of being born again. She said, after that, I was born again. She said her husband was, was an addict. So he got the, uh, the HIV, and then he passed it on to her, and then he, he died, and he left her alone alone with two kids to raise. She had various jobs. Uh, one was working at a storefront, another job was kind of as a, a masseuse, just to try to make ends meet, but she couldn't make ends meet. And so she had to give her older child away to relatives, to go live with them. Now, I don't, I imagine the, the pain of a mom having to give up one of her kids because she can't support her kids. So. She's in this situation, and one day she has this dream. And in this dream, she's working at the storefront, and there's this young man who comes up to her and says, I would like you to work for me. Can you work for me? I got this beautiful garden, and I want you to water the garden. And then she wakes up from the dream, and she's convinced the young man in that dream was Jesus. And Jesus was asking her to quit her job and go and care for other widows with HIV. 
She's like, that's what the dream meant. So the very same day, she walks up to her boss in the storefront and says, I'm quitting my job. So she quits her job, and what she does is she goes and she advocates, and she does massage therapy for other widows who are in pain, suffering from HIV, and she shares the joy of Jesus. Now I'm sitting there, and, you know, I'm jet-lagged, and I'm tired, I, you know, I'm listening to all this, and suddenly I feel like something is going on here. I feel like I'm sitting on holy ground. Like there is something very supernatural that is happening inside this lady, and it is completely unnatural because she's got nothing. She has nothing. She lives in a shack. She gave away one of her kids. Her health is questionable. She can't make ends meet. And here she is, and she's so joyful. She has this joy that's contagious, and she wants to give it to other people who are suffering. And I was just overwhelmed. And it just, it, it blows me away, because I, I, here in, in America, like, if you're a Christian, you, you, you have Jesus, and then you have everything else. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes our lives get caught in the everything else. And then you meet someone, and the everything else is all just stripped away, and all she has is Jesus. And you're not expecting her to say this, but she says something like, I have Jesus, and I have everything. And you're like, wow, that's what I have in Jesus too. I, I asked her, I, I said, we, we all asked her, like, what's your prayer request? Now you imagine, she, she's, again, she's got no husband, no, no, no health, uh, uh, one of her kids is, is gone, no, no economic prospects. And she says, my prayer is that my kids will come to know Jesus the way I have. I'm like, that's just beautiful. How is this possible? If you have Jesus, do you understand what you have? I mean, I, I hope we don't have to be stripped away of everything else to realize what we have in Jesus. If you have Jesus... You have everything. If you have Jesus, you have everything because Jesus plus nothing is everything. I, I have um, just one more thought and then we're going to close. Um, and here's a thought, and it, it really I'm filling out the rest of Psalm 16. What we have in God is so satisfying now, but you've got to believe this it is going to be even more satisfying later. Let me repeat that. What you got in Jesus is really satisfying now, but you got to believe what you have in him is going to be even more satisfying later. It's like the psalmist is saying, man, you think it's good now? You have no idea. You have no idea. The apostle Peter quoted the next verses in his very famous message that brought 3,000 people to believe in Jesus. Okay? That's a pretty big message, um, and it was a pretty big return. And what he was doing in this message, he was talking about the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he used these verses. And uh, the verses go like that. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shoal, or let your Holy One see corruption. Ultimately, 
David is talking about Jesus. Now, here's what, what's going on. Here's what's happening. On the fourth day after someone dies, the ancient Jews believes that the body starts to spoil. Jesus was executed on a cross with the most painful and horrible death, and he died, and three days later, he rose again. Now, this is really, really good news for, uh, for Kira and Jared and Tate and the rest of us who believe. You know why? Because by Jesus rising from the dead, it means that every one of us who identify and put our faith in Jesus will one day also rise from the dead. That is really, really good news. But you've got to ask, well, why are we rising from the dead? To what purpose? What's going to happen after that? And the, the, the psalmist continues on, verse 11. In your presence... There is fullness of joy, and at your right hand, and now these are the two words. Now, if you can remember anything about this point, these are the two words I want you to remember. What are the two words? First word is pleasures, and the second one is what? Forevermore. Now, I want you to turn to someone next to you and say, pleasures forevermore. Okay, I want you to remember those words. I want you to remember those words. I, I want you to remember those words, especially when, when life gets tough. It's going to get tough, like especially on Monday. And then I want you to think of those words, pleasures forevermore. I have something to be very happy about now because the best is yet to come. Okay, you meet a tough time, it's going to happen tomorrow probably, and you're going to say pleasures forevermore. Now let me, let me unpack that, okay. One day after you die, you will be raised back to life. Why? Because God has pleasures in himself to show you. And they are so great, and they are so amazing that it will take just about forever to show them and give them all to you. That's what pleasures forevermore means. Now, for a second, I just want you to think of the greatest pleasure you have ever experienced in this life, okay? Just let your mind go there, okay? What is the greatest pleasure you have ever experienced in this life? Maybe it's the best food. Maybe it's prime rib with the oozing oju on it, you know? You there with me? Maybe it's the best physical intimacy you've ever had. You know what I'm talking about. There's kids in here, but that's good. It's, it's, it's blessed by God. Maybe laughing together with friends. Like, man, that doesn't get better than this or a good job. You ever, ever feel really good? Like, I, I did that job, did it well. You feel good about that? You know, something like that. A good night's sleep, a hot shower, a massage. Are you with me? The greatest pleasure you've ever... Okay, now imagine the creator of the universe who created all that pleasure coming up to you and say, yeah, 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 I know, that's really good, that's really good. But you haven't seen nothing yet. There are pleasures I want to show you in myself. You have no idea what they are, but they are, they are unbelievably good. Just believe me, and it's going to be forever. That's, that's something you can always look forward to. Pleasures forevermore. And it's so good in God now, but it's almost like God saying, you have no idea how much better it's going to get. It's going to get even better. I want to share one last story, then I have a video, and, and then uh, right after the video, uh, J.D., come up, and we're going to, to worship and respond in worship. Uh, one last story. It, it does come from India. Uh, there is some space in between, like, programs, and Pastor Jonathan's like, hey, I want to take you guys to go sightseeing. Like, okay, let's go. Didn't really have time for it, let's just go. So we get in this Jeep, and we go in the backwater of the backwater, right? 
the backwater of the backwater, we go down a hill, we go through these rain puddles, we go up a hill. Okay, backwater of the backwater, there's a house. In the house, there's this the front area. We're all walking towards the front area. My son goes, it smells disgusting here. I'm like, son, we'll talk about what you just did later. You know? You know, and, and so it was kind of smelly. And then uh, we went out and we, we met um, Jonathan's niece. And uh, she was blind. So when I was saying hello to her, I was, I was holding her hand, you know, just, just giving her the, the, the welcome of, of sensation, just touching her hand. And I suddenly realized, oh, okay, sightseeing, ha, 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 this is, this is, is going to be a, a visitation, you know, of some sort. And it, it turns out that there was four sisters who were blind. And they were born blind. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting them. And I was thinking, like, okay, what is that like? What is that like to wake up every morning and you, you're not able to do basic things like cook or leave the house or watch TV? And I'm thinking, you know, these, these women, they, they have nothing. But you know what they did have? They had Jesus. And the last thing I was expecting to find in the back water of the backwater among four sisters who were blind from birth. The last thing I was expecting to find was joy. And that's exactly what I found. And again, I was blown away. Like, I'm expecting something else, not for you to sing. So what they did is the four of them got on this porch, and one of them whipped out a guitar. I didn't even know what I didn't expect. And they start singing. And I, I took a video of it. And I want to show the video to you. It's a very special video. But it's in the context of like, I don't know, despair and lament. They have nothing, nothing, nothing. But you know what they have? They have Jesus. And in this moment, they were saying, I have everything. I have joy. I have hope. It's almost like they're saying to you, do you know what you have in Jesus? Do you know the joy and the hope that is in Jesus? Do you know, do you know, do you know what you have? If you do have Jesus. And I just want to uh, share uh, words from my heart. If, if you don't know Jesus, then through the story of these three, maybe today you're going to put your faith and your trust in him and that joy and that hope could be yours. And it is a powerful, in a sense, irresistible joy. Now I'm going to show you this video and then I'm gone, but you won't understand what they're singing. I want you to look beyond that I actually want you to look not at the language, but at the heart behind their language. And that's a language of hope, and it's a language of joy. And I think it's actually universal. So I hope this uh, is really uh, something special to you.